This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. But I'm going to start this morning talking about how to get your prayers answered. Why it's so important. I don't want to talk about the battlefield, about warring in the heavenlies, but warring in the courtroom of the heavenlies. So often I think that we've made some mistakes, and I, I, I want to lead us there this morning. And I really want you to open your hearts and listen to, I believe, what the Holy Spirit is saying. You see, I, I believe that most of us, most of you, believe in prayer. I mean, in this church, we have prayer going all the time, all-night prayer meetings. Uh, we have morning prayer, lunchtime prayer, evening prayer. We have the prayer room open. I don't think there's been... Uh, a 24-hour period where somebody hasn't been in that prayer room. And I know we believe in prayer. I believe that we believe in prayer with fasting. I'm constantly talking to people that say, I'm fasting for a few days. I'm fasting for a month. I'm doing a Daniel's fast. I know that leading up to action, many of us are doing Daniel's fasts. We've set aside this time to not only prepare our gifts, our service, but to prepare our hearts, and that's important. But I also know this, that even those who consider themselves not to be believers, not to be Christians, also believe in prayer. Especially in times of trouble, in times of trauma, in times of tribulation. You see, there's a strong belief that prayer works in the world today. We even have celebrities that are ungodly, godless celebrities that'll say, I'm praying for you, or God bless you, or let's pray, or let's all pray that something happens in a time of tragedy. But I also believe that even with all these strong beliefs in prayer, there's a great deal of frustration concerning how prayer operates and what we need to do to see our prayers answered. We have seen and probably all found this frustration at the lack of our prayers being answered from time to time. I don't know about you. How many of you felt like, man, I I wish I had more prayers answered or my prayers were answered differently or better? Anybody ever feel that way? Yeah, I think we all have. I've heard at times, and at times, you know, even I have sought to put a spin on what God says. I mean, I, I've, I've taught that, you know, sometimes God says yes, sometimes God says no, and sometimes God says wait, right? And, and, I, and I think that that's true. I think that, uh, you know, it could be a timing issue. I think that God does know better than we do what we need, and I think those are good things. And as much as I think that that's correct, I believe it's also very trite. I think it's sometimes too simple of an answer to a very, very complex issue. I've seen prayers prayed that were in agreement with God, with God's word, people in agreement with each other, and there were no answers to those prayers. It seemed like Everything was right. And the result was relationships destroyed. Businesses going under. Premature deaths. All kinds of things occurred 
when you knew that prayer had been done correctly. And I questioned, I said, God, how can this be? How can we be praying correctly and not see answers to our prayers? You see, I've seen devastating answers take place or devastating consequences take place where there appeared to be no answer from heaven. And yet people were praying. So what's the problem? Or better yet, what's the solution? Why is it that sometimes heaven remains silent when we pray so earnestly? I believe that part of the answer lies in what I'm going to teach you today and that what I'll be teaching you throughout the Action Conference. God began to deal with my heart while I was in the United States. He's been dealing with me for quite a while about issues concerning prayer. I've had a frustration level in my prayer life. And I'm a prayer. I believe in prayer. I pray a lot. I know how to pray the prayer of faith. That I know how to pray. I know how to make intercession on behalf of another. But there are certain prayers and certain situations that I have prayed and I have prayed and I've said, God, either you have to teach me how to pray again. You have to give me revelation. Because there's something wrong here. I believe this. And I'm going to touch on it this morning and then I'll pick it up during the action conference. I believe that the answer is found in where spiritual activity, the spiritual activity that we call prayer, is actually taking place. You see, prayer at its very core is where you and I insert ourselves into spiritual conflict. Prayer is not just asking for things or petitioning God for special requests. When we pray, we actually engage the Lord himself. We actually have access to the Lord himself. But we also engage the powers of darkness who want to resist us in our activity of prayer. We can see this clearly in the book of Daniel. Here we see Daniel interceding. He's asking God for revelation. He's saying, God, I need knowledge. I need understanding regarding the scriptures. Satan doesn't want us to get this knowledge. Satan doesn't want us to get revelation. He doesn't want us to understand what we're praying about. He doesn't want us to have a certain degree of understanding of the scriptures. He doesn't want Daniel to have understanding. And we see this battle going on and we see a resistance. And so not only is God approaching, or not only is Daniel approaching God, but he is resisted by high powers of darkness in a spiritual realm. Now we get to see that in the scripture here. And we see that after 21 days, Daniel finally receives the answer to his prayer. And he also gains understanding of what it's going to happen through the scriptures. And in Daniel 10, verses 12 through 14, it says, Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourselves before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to those words. But the prince of Persia, of the Persian kingdom, 
resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. You see, I want you to understand something. Daniel's prayer engaged God. He went before and set set forth his prayer with God, but it also engaged the devil and his forces. My point is simply this. The prayer is always about conflict. Daniel's words stirred heaven, but they also stirred up hell. When you and I are praying, regardless of the prayers you pray, you're entering into conflict. We are moving the powers of heaven on behalf and on benefit of God's kingdom, and yet we are resisted by the powers of hell. We're declaring God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, but the enemy is not yielding his ground easily. He does not want to yield the ground that he's had and that he's possessed for so long easily. And so he resists. That's why it's important that we understand the power of our words that we direct to the Lord and that we direct into our situations. In fact, we can see this in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 26. It says, Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. This is the Apostle Paul. He's talking about prayer. He's talking about his life. He says, I don't run aimlessly. He says, and I don't box the air as one that's just punching aimlessly. How many of us have, especially in the area of prayer, run with uncertainty? Or have participated in spiritual shadow boxing? We're wondering if anything's really happening out there. We're swinging aimlessly. You know, when my kids were little, I used to love to, I'd say, come and fight me. And they'd fight. And they were so small that I could put my hand on their head and they'd swing. And they were, they were all upset. They're, they're beating up dad. They're beating. Every so often they'd land a punch. But most of the time it's just like this. They're just swinging aimlessly into the air exerting all their energy and power. And when they're finally totally exhausted, I throw them on their back and I tickle them. Easily conquered. <laughs> you see, shadow boxing is training for the gym. Often in one of my gym routines, I'll put the gloves on and I have a guy, he holds up these mitts, and he says, boom, 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 and he'll get me going, punching. But at least I'm hitting something. But shadow boxing is you're just punching, punching, punch, 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 punching the air. But you're not accomplishing anything except 
wearing yourself out. Now, it does build up your stamina. It perfects the art of punching. But let me tell you something. It's not for the ring. It's not for the arena where there's a real opponent facing you. You see, when you have a real opponent, real blows are needed to be landed and damage done to your opponent, to your adversary, who's trying to knock you out. You see, if you shadow box in a real match, you're just going to wear yourself out. You simply wear yourself out, and you don't really do any damage to your opponent. There was a great boxer in the United States of America. His name was Cassius Clay. He became Muhammad Ali. You all know Muhammad Ali. And Muhammad Ali fought a man that was bigger than him, stronger than him, but he, and, and he nearly lost to him once before, but Muhammad Ali came up with an idea. He called it the rope-a-dope. Anybody know what the rope-a-dope was? Muhammad Ali fought this guy by leaning back on the ropes. And leaning way back on the ropes. And this guy came in. He was known for body blows and, and, and fighting. Smoking Joe Fraser. And, and Muhammad Ali danced and this ro- did what he called the rope-a-dope. And who was the dope? Smoking Joe. Smoking Joe kept swinging, kept swinging, could never make a blow into Muhammad Ali because he was rocking back on the ropes, making him swing, and he's exerting all of his efforts, wearing himself out. And finally, Muhammad Ali steps up, boom, and knocked out Smoking Joe Fraser. And that was a famous, famous fight. The rope-a-dope. Sometimes I feel like God does that to the church. I think he does that to some of us. Not God, the devil. The devil plays the rope-a-dope on us. He lets you punch the air. And then he delivers the knockout punch. Once you've weakened your position, once you've weakened yourself, he goes for the knockout. You know, I've seen believers become discouraged. Throwing punch after punch at an unseen opponent and landing none of them. And you see, the problem is that many believers have become faint, faint-hearted, and they just like to quit. Say, this doesn't work. I'd like to just quit. Many believers are just wearing themselves out. But I want to encourage you today. Please don't quit. Don't quit. I believe over the next few days during our action conference, I'm going to be able to give you some very helpful insight about how to be much more effective in your prayer life, much more effective in throwing punches at your enemy. Now, If we are to get unanswered prayers answered, we must first rightly discern where the conflict in which we find ourselves takes place. 
See, I believe that many Christians have misunderstood the conflict. Most teachers on the subject of prayer talk about engaging the enemy in the battlefield. Spiritual warfare takes place on the battlefield. Draw your sword and go into the battlefield. Defeat your enemy, attack your enemy in the battlefield with drawn sword. And I have come to believe deeply that at least initially our prayers are not on the battlefield, but are in the courtroom of heaven. And I think that we need to learn how to operate in the courtroom of heaven. So as I've studied this, I found out that there is not only one courtroom, but there are seven different, several different courtrooms, seven to be exact, seven courtrooms that the Bible speaks of. And just like our own judicial systems around the world, you have a magistrate's court, you have a small claims court, you have a, uh, a high court, you have a supreme court, you have eventually appellate courts, you have all kinds of different courts. And how many of you know that you have to enter each of those courts differently? You can't just walk into a courtroom unprepared and, and, and think that you can stand in front of a court. A small claims court, you can represent yourself. A magistrate's court, it's usually good to have somebody to represent you. At the high court, you need an advocate. In Britain, you need to not only have an advocate, but you also have to have a counselor. And if you go to the Supreme Court, this becomes a whole team of people that help represent you. The protocol of the battlefield will not work in the courtroom. Nor will the protocol of the courtroom work on the battlefield. These are two different arenas, and we have to discover where we are in prayer if we're going to be effective. When we come off of the battlefield... And I believe some of us have to get off the battlefield and get into the courtroom. You've been on the battlefield. How many of you know you've been on the battlefield so long that you don't even know that there's a courtroom? And we need to learn to function in the courtroom. We need to learn that there are verdicts that affect the outcome of our warfare. We need to learn to function in the courtroom. The verdicts come out of the realm of God's throne. We must know how to be a part of a legal process of heaven that grants God's legal right to fulfill his passion on behalf of earth. So I want to talk about where does the conflict lie with you this morning. When you appear before a judge, how many of you know there's no shouting, there's no flailing of arms, there's no fists, there's no swords, there's no screaming, there's no yelling, there's no physical wrestling? That changed some of your prayer lives right there. Just tap your neighbor and say, I know who you're talking about right there. 
You see, those kind of activities would be completely out of order in a courtroom, in a court proceeding. In a courtroom, it's all about presenting evidence. It's all about making requests, answering accusations, and other legal processes. The result is that verdicts are handed down that are consistent with the petitions that have been made and the arguments that have been presented. Justice is served. I believe that prayer is an activity that takes place in the courtroom of heaven. There, we make petitions. We answer our accuser, our accusations. We present arguments. Evidence is presented in the court of heaven. Just as we do on the courts on earth. And just as there are protocols in natural courtrooms, there are protocols in the heavenly courtroom. In fact, I know this, and I had this wrong picture in my mind. I saw the courts of heaven only as kind of these kingly, princely courts where somebody sat on a throne and, and you know, I, I don't know, I guess we just worshiped that entity. It was only for worship. I didn't understand that, no, a king on his throne, our king, God Almighty, on his throne is there not only as God, but he's there as judge. The just judge of the universe. The just judge of everything. See, I think you have to get the right picture. When he sits on his throne, he's there. And in the days of royalty, in the days of kings, kings sat on a throne and they pronounced judgments. They were the judges. People would present their cases all day long. People from the kingdom would come and they would present their cases to a king. And he would give rulings based on the evidence that he received in front of them. We see pictures of this throughout scriptures. And I don't have time to get in it today, but Job, for example. It says that the devil presents himself before the throne of God and makes accusation against a man named Job. He says the only reason he loves you is because you protect him. He says he wouldn't love you, he wouldn't serve you if you took your hand off him. Now I'm going to show you that Job didn't understand the courts of heaven either. It wasn't until the end of the chapter when God finally got Job to make a petition and pray in accordance with a jurisdiction that he could work in that God was able to reverse his fortunes and get the devil off his back. But it was a legal transaction. It wasn't just a merciful transaction. We need to understand this. So my picture of the courtroom, of the courts of God was always wrong. But the Bible says there's a protocol even for entering God's courts. He says, enter my gates with thanksgiving and my courts with praise. Well, we go before God. Now, under the blood of Jesus, the Bible says that all of us, all of us as believers have access to the court of heaven He says, come boldly before the throne of grace to find help in your time of need. That throne of grace is a courtroom. And you don't just go in there 
although you can go in fairly casually, it's not a, it's not a hectic place. This is a low-level court, and God says, hey, come before my throne room. And I have to give you some good news. The king on the throne wants to judge in your favor. He's on your side. He has an advocate standing by your side. Jesus, who is your advocate, who stands for you on your behalf to defend you. And you have a counselor called the Holy Spirit who is there to give you wisdom and counsel all at the same time. But how many of you have taken advantage of this in the courtroom? Because you also are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, those that have gone on before us, and angelic hosts and beings. But you also have an adversary who is there, the accuser of the brethren, who's there to present his case. And the reason that many of us lose our case is because we have never given an answer for the accusation against us. And legally, the legalist, the devil, has every right to hold you bound by the sin you committed, by the violation that you made, by the iniquities of your fathers. And he stands, he says, you can't bless him. You can't do this. I hold him, no, I hold him accountable. By law, I have him. You can't, and although God would want to, and although Jesus is your advocate, we never take advantage of the court process. I believe that the scripture reveals to us that the initial conflict in prayer is not done on the battlefield, but in the courtrooms of heaven. The first place of intercession should be in the courtroom of heaven. You see, it's important that we first win our verdicts before we go into the battlefield and try to enforce them. You see, many Christians have rushed onto the battlefield of prayer and spiritual warfare without securing a verdict from heaven. This is a critical mistake, and it has caused many of us to experience chaos, defeat, backlash from satanic forces, and even destruction on our lives. We rush into places of prayer only to see things get worse instead of getting better. This is because we stir things up on the battlefield without having first established legal precedent for us to be there. Just tap your neighbor and say, I think I know why my prayer didn't work last week. <laughs> I've heard people say something like this. They say, oh, you know, the worsting situation is a sign that something's moving. <laughs> it's moving all right. It's moving in the wrong direction. That's what's happening. <laughs> well, think about it. How about if military leaders applied that logic, that wisdom? When experiencing defeat at the hands of their enemy, we just keep fighting and we keep sending our soldiers out onto that battlefield to sacrifice their lives in a war that we're hoping to win someday. That's a ridiculous strategy. And yet the church, we keep doing the same thing. 
In Revelation 19, verse 11, we see how Jesus himself approaches warfare. He says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. First, I want to see something, that the heavens are open. I want you to know that Jesus has made an opening for you and I to have bold access into the heavenly courtroom. You and I don't have to beg to get there. We don't have to fight to get into the courtroom. He says, come boldly before the throne. Come boldly into the courtroom of heaven. He says, I've made a way for you. The heavens are open for us. That means there's revelation. That means that there are things that we need to discern in the heavenly realm that are available to us. Prayer and warfare should not be a shot in the dark. They shouldn't just a beat beating of a wind or running in vain. They should have a purpose behind them. We should be able to pinpoint the things that we need to deal with and touch them with accuracy. I dealt with this in my book on surgical prayer. God told me, he says, my people do not pray accurately. They do not pray surgically. They do not pray powerfully. He says they are all over the place. And I believe God was teaching us then. I believe God taught me. But I think he's taking us even into a greater realm of understanding that there's a courtroom. We can present a case. We can plead our case with heaven before a righteous judge, a judge who's in our favor. And we can defeat our enemies. And that prayer is more than just beating the air. Prayer is more than just praying. Prayer is more than just making a request. It's taking a legal course, getting a legal precedent, getting a verdict from heaven that allows us to enforce it on earth. We have to be able to pray within the will of God. And I believe that we can find the needle in the haystack when heaven is open and revelation is flowing. In 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15, it says, This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. Here's what so many of us do. We go in and we're not sure what he's given us. Or we go with some vague scripture that really doesn't apply to our situation. It's just a scripture that we've somehow memorized by rote. I'm the head and not the tail above only not beneath. It's just blubber that comes out of our mouth. We just keep saying all these things, but we don't really have a word from heaven. We don't really have a verdict from the throne of God. We have not really taken this seriously. It's just something that we think is a magic term that we can kind of wave our hand and quote a few scriptures, and that's warfare. That's not true. God will give you a verdict. He'll give you insight. He'll give you wisdom for your situation. So one of the critical concepts or one of the critical steps to effective prayer is that we understand the will of God and that we pray in agreement with his will. We have to know what God wants. We have to know what God's saying. And we have to get a verdict from him. The main thing I want to point out in this this passage in Revelation is that the heavens, that Jesus, who is faithful and true, Not only are the heavens open, but when Jesus, he says he judges in righteousness and makes war. What comes first? 
a judgment in righteousness before he makes war. He has a judgment in the courts of righteousness before he makes war. And I think that's the pattern for us. I'm not saying there isn't a battlefield. I'm not saying there isn't a warfare. But let me tell you something. It's a lot easier if you have a judgment already. I would much rather fight the battle I know I'm going to win. Does that make sense? I think it's important that you notice the order of the wording. It's not there by accident. It's so important. Jesus judges, then he makes war. When the Bible speaks of judging, it speaks of judicial activity. Judicial activity. There is a decision and the verdict being rendered concerning the situation, concerning the petition and the request. The activity is being judged. There is a legal precedent that's being established concerning it. Out of that judicial activity, which is flowing from the courts of heaven, is the basis for war being conducted or being waged. We must learn to make war based on judgments, decisions, and verdicts that are received out of the courts of heaven. When we try to make war without a verdict or without a judgment from heaven, from the courtroom of heaven, we suffer defeat. We suffer a satanic backlash because we have no legal footing to be there or to engage in such activity. On the other hand, if we get legal renderings, concerning our situation we cannot help but march onto the battlefield and win every single time you see we're simply enforcing the defeat of our enemy and I think often of my own life I think often of prayers I prayed my greatest setbacks when I would pray the prayer of faith knowing what the word of God said but I hadn't received that word as a rhema word I just had it as a logos word I just had it as a word that I knew and I'd memorized and I hey it worked before so guess what it has to work again And we presume upon the courts of God. We presume upon the word of God. Instead of getting a revelatory word, a rhema word, a life-giving word in the situation that gives us a mandate against the enemy. Recently, as I've been praying, I've been visualizing my prayers. I visualize myself entering into the throne room. I see the king on the throne. I sense Jesus I'm at his right hand. He's at my left hand. I haven't discerned yet whether I'm actually before the throne or I'm seated on a throne with Jesus, my advocate, and the king with us. I'm not sure how, I, I'm not sure how it feels. I just know that Jesus is on my left side. I sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. I sense angelic beings. I sense my brothers and sisters in the witness stands. The Bible in Hebrews talks about we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I, I, I sense this now. 
But I also have seen my adversary. One time he came into the room in the in a presence of just evil, darkness. And his accusations are real. Can I tell you something? Some of the accusations that he throws against you, you can't defeat them because they're true. They're true. And he holds you bound legally because he's built his case against you. He says, you can't, he, and he can, he can come boldly and say, you cannot bless this man. You cannot bless him. I know he's your son, but you cannot touch him. I have rights to him. No prophet can deliver you from that. No man of God can deliver you from that. A verdict from heaven can deliver you. Have you ever read the scripture that says this? It says, agree with your adversary in the way. What does that mean? I find myself agreeing with my adversary. I'm saying he's right. He's right. But then the Bible in 1 John 1, 9 says, confess your sin. And he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So once I acknowledge it and say he's right and say, but, but I would like my advocate now to render his argument. I confess that I'm wrong. I, can, I repent. There's, there's a, I'll talk to you about the process. But I'd like him to render his argument, which is I paid for it with my blood. And they overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And the word of their testimony. What is testimony? Where is testimony heard? In a court of law. Is this making sense to anybody today? So we have to learn how to get these verdicts and how to get these judgments in place so that answers can come to our prayers for the extension of the kingdom of God and to enforce God's will on earth. Jesus teaches in Luke and sets prayer in a courtroom setting. In fact, throughout the scripture, we see references made to warfare, but we also see references made to courtrooms. There are, battle, there are battlefields that we have to fight on, but there are more cases where it's in a courtroom. In Matthew 6 and in Luke 11, it does not place prayer on the battlefield. In fact, it definitely places it on in a courtroom. When the disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? He says, here's how you should pray. He says, say, our Father, which art in heaven. Where are we going? This is a courtroom. Hallowed be thy name. Your honor. Your honor. I recognize who you are. You're the just judge of the universe. You are the king. You are the Lord. Are you, are you, are you getting the picture here? 
That is not a battlefield. That is a courtroom. Luke 11 does not place prayer on the battlefield. In fact, let's look at, uh, let's look at Luke 18. In Luke 18, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Boy, let me tell you something. Don't stop praying. Don't give up, but let's pray rightfully. He's saying, this, this is the, the parable is, he told them a parable that they should always pray and don't give up. Men ought always to pray and don't give up. Tap your neighbor. Say, men ought always to pray and don't give up. No, now tell your other neighbor and mean it this time. You should always pray and don't give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. One version says, wear me out. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? You see, clearly, Jesus is declaring that we are supposed to enter into the courtroom and make our petitions. Stand against our adversary. Make our petition against our adversary and pray. If this widow could get an answer and a verdict from an unjust judge through her persistent activity in the courtroom, how much more will you and I get answers as the elect of God before a God who's already in our favor, who's given us an advocate and a counselor that is trying to help us to win our victories? Our God is a righteous judge, not an unrighteous one. See, I think it's really interesting that Jesus spoke this parable so that we wouldn't give up on prayer. See, we have to realize that a lack of results doesn't, need, doesn't mean we need to put more effort into something. More effort without additional wisdom usually produces tiredness, fatigue, and weariness. You know, I used to work in a drugstore. And we used to hire people that were of dubious character. They didn't care about the drugstore. They really didn't care about anything. And I'll never forget, we hired these guys to move some shelving in our warehouse. And they had to dismantle it, and then they had to reconstruct it. We showed them where we wanted it, and, and it was all steel, steel uh, angle iron with bolts in it. And so we showed them where, well, instead of them trying to tear it down and move it, they tried to get 
something that was nine inches too big through a doorway that was nine inches too small. But instead of seeing that it wouldn't work, they tried every way imaginable. They eventually tore out part of the doorway because they didn't care. But they kept working. And I mean, they, rather than do the job, they worked at this. We finally went back three or four hours later, and they still hadn't torn one shelving unit down, but they torn the door apart. They torn the whole room apart. It was like, what the heck are you doing? Well, we thought, and we're just trying. We think it, if, and they tried to make that thing that was way too big fit for three hours. And they thought that more effort would get it through. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? Often what we are doing is not producing results. But we think that if we can just keep doing it long enough, loud enough, hard enough, that somehow, magically, something different is going to happen. When I first came to Zimbabwe, I had a, a gentleman who didn't speak English. He only spoke Shona, and I knew nothing about Shona at all. In fact, he didn't even really speak Shona. He was from Malawi. He, he sp- the only thing that he, he could understand that is you know, what they call chalapalapa. You know chalapalapa? Low, everything's low. Low this, low that, low, low. And I kind of got into it. I could say lojira, low, low. Mura, uh, you know, low swimming pool, low, <laughs> low grass, low lawnmower, low, every, you know, I, I, it's a language I could understand. I can even do a little bit of chalapa as long as I know one word, low. <laughs> but he and I had a communication problem. And the pool filter on my pool gave in one year. And they had, I don't know, back then they had these massive pool filters. And they had three different things. And to back flush, you had to turn this one left, and this one right, and this one left, and it would back flush. But the new one had three, and they were different configuration. And this one you had to turn right, and this one left, and this one Right. You know, I love this guy. He and I would have these, we'd try to have these conversations. I mean, I had wonderful experiences with him. One night in the middle of the night, he pounded on my door. woke me up. I was scared to death. I thought I was being robbed. And he's speaking to me. And he's all excited. I have no idea what he's talking about. Back then, you know, the phones worked like one out of ten times. So I phoned a friend who happened to pick up the phone who understood Shona. And he started screaming in the phone. So I finally asked, what's going on? He says, his wife's having a baby. Oh, well, no. All right, I get that. I understand that. Okay. So, so now I'm trying to explain to him. Left is no longer on. It's now right, left, right. I'm drawing arrows. No matter how many times I trained him, no matter how he'd been trained by his previous 
boss who I took over. He worked in this house. This is his house. He'd been trained that it's left, right, left, not right, left, right. And no matter how many times. So now every day he's back flushing everything into the pool. Now, I love this guy, I promise you, but that was enough. After about two months of every day, my pool getting greener and greener, and Silas! Right, left, right! No, left, right, left. No, right, left, right! Left, right. He'd been well trained. Well, we parted company. We had to part company. That's how some of you are in prayer. Someone wants to find the definition of insanity as doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different happen, something different to happen. You see, we do not need more striving, more effort. We need to discover secrets that unlock new dimensions, that produce new results. We need to go to the throne room of heaven and get God's answers, God's verdicts, God's representation on our cases. Jesus was speaking this parable. And in doing so, he was unlocking a secret to you and I. He was showing us that prayer activity takes place in a courtroom. When the widow wanted justice, she went to the courtroom, not to the battlefield. In fact... She realized that she didn't need to march onto a battlefield and yell at her enemy or adversary. She simply needed a verdict from the court. In fact, she never did address her adversary. This parable never mentions her even speaking to him. She only spoke to the judge. When this widow kept on with her plea for justice to an unjust judge... He finally gave in and granted her justice, her request, and she received a verdict for her situation. She understood this. She understood that if the judge gave her and rendered a legal verdict for her, any power of the adversary was demolished and she won the case. Once this is in place, her adversary had to bow his knees to the authority of the court of heaven, to the authority of the courtroom, to the rendering of the court. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about? This is what works for you and me as well. Any adversary in the spiritual realm, any adversary in the spiritual realm that is resisting God's kingdom purpose for our lives will bow his knees to the verdict of the courtroom of heaven. We don't have to yell. We don't have to scream. We don't even have to curse our enemy. All we need to do is receive a legal pronouncement, a legal precedent based on a verdict from heaven, and the fight's over. The fight's over. We simply need to enforce the verdict from heaven. This is where your decrees come into effect. This is when you can decree a thing and it comes to pass. This is when you can 
have a bold confession of faith. When you have a bold answer from the throne room of heaven. Now you have a more sure word to stand on. It may come as a word from the word, but I'm going to tell you something. It'll come as a revelation. It'll come as a rhema word. It'll come as something that's life-giving. And once legality has been established, we can enforce our confessions. We can enforce our decrees in the earth by faith. Notice in Luke 18.8, he says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Speedily. You know, I've been spending a lot of time lately in the courtroom of heaven. Since I began to get this revelation. And I'm beginning to see prayers that I've been praying for years for being answered. In some cases, all my warring and my crying and my petitioning didn't bring the answers that I thought they would bring. But since I began to navigate the courts of heaven, since I began to enter in and see myself before the king of heaven, things that I never thought would happen before begun to happen. And I'm seeing immediate effect on some things. I'm seeing things that I prayed for for years, all of a sudden, a breakthrough. I'm seeing things that I'd wrestled with and struggled with. I get a verdict from heaven and I see God saying, it's over. Or it's complete. Can can I just say, in this week that's coming up in action, I believe that as I unfold this, many of you are going to begin to Gain revelation about how you can present yourself in the courtroom of heaven. I'm going to go through a a series of steps. I have a graph that I've designed. I'm going to go through this series of steps, and I, I think it's going to help some of you. There's a lot of biblical precedent for this. So I'm looking forward to Wednesday night, the opening of action. I'm going to talk to you about through the courts of heaven how to get your plunder back. How to get plunder. How to, how to gain access to some of the things the devil's taken from you financially. Then on Thursday and Friday morning, I have an, for two 45-minute sessions. One each day. I'm going to begin to paint for you the picture of how you can go into the courtroom of heaven and gain access there. Right now, I'm just going to ask you to stand where you're at. Wherever you're at. I'm going to ask Pastor Bonnie to come and... You know, I'd like us just to seal this and I'd like to see you picture yourself not on a battlefield this morning but in a throne room I'd like you to see yourself standing before the throne of grace Jesus at your left your left hand the Bible says we're seated with him in heavenly places if he's at the right hand of the father then we must be at his right hand somewhere But when we're facing the Father, we're still at His right hand. I want you to sense the Holy Spirit speaking to you. I want you to sense the atmosphere of the courtroom. Angelic beings. All the brothers and sisters of faith. Our great cloud of witnesses. That have gone before us. Looking at you. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.